Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Family Photographs, establishing parental dominance since 1841. Now, let's dim the lights and say cheese. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Flugel Binders, keeping your shoelaces tight for generations. Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a movie podcast where we like to see what goes into making movies, or at least from our perspective. Mm -hmm. I always like that. We just kind of shoot from the hip. We're not out for the right answers. Uh, Definitely not. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to are like, you jackasses. That is, that is not what that is. A whatever. lot of people? Eh. Uh, maybe. Right. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe a like, dozen or so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of like what I like to do, you know, in every movie for me that we do. And this is number 95 now. Which is we are close to the century, man. This is crazy. I know. But every one that, that I do can be completely different from the last one just because I might go into it with, because I like to sit down and take notes and try to uh, really carve out some pointed lesson, uh, not necessarily for you, the viewer, but or listener, but for me, you know, as a filmmaker and it changes every time because, uh, today, you know, we're going to be doing Moneyball, and I sat down with really just one goal. Um, and I pulled out almost nothing else. <laughs> and so whereas, okay, normally I have like, Oh, cinematography yeah, notes, right. and blah, blah, blah. this one, I was like, Nope, I'm hyper-focused on just getting one thing across. And that was literally all I had. Are we going to talk about that today? We are, actually. Cool. Well, first off, we are doing Moneyball this week. So if you have not watched Moneyball, please pause the episode, go watch it and come back. There'll be plenty of spoilers. So, Indeed. We are going to be talking about plot and subplot for, you know, the writing and story stuff, but uh, specifically plot and almost versus subplot. Like what is plot and what is a subplot? And then I have like the smallest notes on performances and other such stuff and things and stuff. Yeah. One of the things you were, so, you know, you said we just talk about things and they could be right or wrong or, or whatever. But I think that more often than not, what we try to do here is just to analyze the, maybe even the subconscious of why things are the way they are in, in films, which, you sit down and you and you can have an opinion on something and I could have a totally different opinion. And that's our own, you know, the, maybe the way that we approach watching a film or maybe the way that we receive it. But I, I, I tend to think that, yes, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of like stuff that di- directors and, and producers think about when they're going into a film like, you know, color, you know, specifically and everything. But I think that a lot of times things that happen are subconscious too, right? I mean, there are plenty of films where the director's like, I don't know. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. You know, but to you, it meant something specific and maybe in their subconscious, they wanted that. Like, why did they want to say this, this line in this way? Or why did they want to show this, uh, this angle or something? It's not always like, I want to create this feeling. It's a, this gives me a feeling. Oh, I like, you know, maybe they were going to do a totally different angle on this shot or it was going to be in a, in a different place. And they changed the scene because they didn't like the way that, that scene that they planned felt. And then it just, you know, is off the cuff. And I I love it when movies, it's so true. No, I, 
in my own work, I, I call these happy accidents mm-hmm. where in hindsight or maybe even on the day, something kind of clicks and I'm like, oh, that's really working. Um, and sometimes it's only in hindsight that you realize all these happy accidents kind of came into play. Like it's one of those things where you write something and then you look up and you're like, oh, there's like theme running throughout this that I really didn't anticipate. I was just trying to tell a story. There's I I don't know if there's a quote, but I've always heard that Hemingway's response to everyone else's response to old man in the sea, which is this very basic story about an old man who catches a fish. There's, you know, some drama to it, but it's a very stripped down, simple story. And people walk away with just tons of it's about this. And here's this. It's a metaphor for this. It's symbolic of this. And Hemingway is like, honestly, I was just telling a story about an old man catching a fish. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But if you if you tell the story that you're trying to tell and you tell it truly, uh, there's always going to be. Well, there's usually going to be something else that people can take away from it because you were honest to your characters and to the scenario Mm -hmm. and you played it to the bone instead of necessarily trying to craft this other thing because you were so focused on telling the story as it felt like it needed to be told. It just kind of all these happy accidents happen Mm -hmm. and suddenly, yeah, what, man, he really picked his lens because of how, you know, yeah. euphoric it made him feel. And it's like, no, he just like the way That's, the light hit the yeah, head, yeah. whatever. Like I, re- I planned on shooting it on 85, but yeah. that was, you know, we couldn't rent that that day. <laughs> right. So we had a 50. That's why we rented that. You know, I guess my point is, is that we sit here and we say, oh, you know, um, this is what we got out of this, or this is how this made me feel, or this is what I think the director was thinking. And we might be right. But even if we're not right, we're still not wrong. Right. You know, it's just the way it's just the way that it comes across. And sometimes that kind of stuff is planned by the people who make the films. And other times it's just not, you know, like there's it's all subjective. Yeah. Yeah. There there are plenty of directors that I mean, obviously you have a plan. And when you have Mm -hmm. millions of dollars in budget, you have a big plan. But, you know, you get on set and, you know, Scorsese does this all the time. You just like roll. You know, you just shoot and whatever happens, maybe that makes it in the film. Maybe it doesn't. It just, you're just capturing stuff. You're capturing moments and whatever feels real, that's what you go with, you know? Anyway, so synopsis of Moneyball. Spoilers. Here we go. Oakland A's general manager Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. Directed by Bennett Miller, written by Stephen Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, based on the book by Michael Lewis, cinematography by Wally Pfister. It's featuring Brad Pitt as Billy Bean, Jonah Hill as Peter Brand, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Art Howe, Chris Pratt as Hatterberg, and Karis Dorsey as Casey Bean. Two minutes. Yeah, he passes the eye candy test. He's got the looks. He's ready to play the part. He just needs to get some playing time. I'm just saying. His girlfriend is a six at best. Look, if we're trying to replace Giambi, this guy could be it. I agree with you. Damn, Billy, was that a suggestion? The guys are just talking. Talking la 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 like this is business as usual. It's not. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this. You're not. You're not even looking at the problem. Well, we're very aware of the problem. I mean. Okay, good. What's the problem? Look, Billy. 
We all understand what the problem is. We have to okay, replace. Okay, good. What's the problem? The problem is we have to replace three key players in our nope. lineup. What's the problem? Same as it's ever been. We've got to replace these guys with what we have existing. No. Nope. What's the problem, Barry? We need 38 home runs, 120 RBIs, and 47 doubles to replace. The problem we're trying to solve is that there are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. It's an unfair game. And now we've been gutted like organ donors for the rich. Boston's taking our kidneys, Yankees taking our heart, and you guys are sitting around talking the same old good body nonsense like we're selling jeans, like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. We are the last dog at the bowl. You see what happens to the runt of the litter? He dies. Billy, that's a very touching story and everything, but I think we're all very much aware of what we're facing here. You have a lot of experience and wisdom in this room. Now, you need to have a little bit of faith and let us do the job of replacing Giambi. Is there another first baseman like Giambi? No, not really. No. And if there was, could we afford him? No. Nope. Then what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect way to end that. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, have you seen this before? Yes. Yeah. yeah. A couple times. Yeah, exactly. It's so rewatchable. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. Oddly, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's your, what's your feeling on That's, this? It's fantastic. It's so fantastic. Everything from the story to the acting, to the writing, to the, to the music, uh, the music is phenomenal in this film and i forget about it I, yeah i'm watching it and i'm yeah. not even just, you just feel it yeah right um th- those those it's inserted at the perfect times where where they're doing the montages of uh of all the data mm-hmm. and explaining the data to the players when when billy and peter are talking to the players about like if you just wait a couple more pitches you could get on base 20 percent more you know like those kinds of things it like lifts the uh the data or whatever into an actual story like that that being a plot you know it gives it kind of a character almost mm-hmm. to have that theme running throughout I loved it. I kept waiting. Anytime there was a scene like that, there were a couple of scenes where I watched again just because I loved the feeling that I had, you know, with the the score underneath it, you know, uh, and them talking about it. And it's such great casting, such great casting to put Jonah Hill in this. And um, it's just a polar opposite from someone like Brad Pitt, you know, just like this, you know, an older guy, uh, you know, really attractive man next to Jonah Hill, who is an attractive man, I'm sure. But I'm just saying like, you know, just a totally different style. And he was a younger kid and he's very timid. So there was this father figure kind of, kind of thing like, yeah, this like mentor, mentor yeah. yeah, kind of, kind of thing that was going on, um, throughout the whole movie. And that might be one of your plot things that I'm stepping on or whatever, but you know, he tells him you should, you should travel with the team. You should, you know, send someone down, you know, or <laughs> like tell them that you're traded. Like, why would I ever need to do that? It's part of the game. You need to learn it. So he was like coaching him throughout the whole thing or whatever. And then I loved the inning and we'll, we'll get to that, you know, at first I didn't. And then I thought about it and I did. And, uh, and I forgot what the ending was, Mm. you know, anyway. Yeah. So I loved it. I thought it was fantastic in every way. Yeah. Same. And 
baseball is such an interesting sport. Like I, I grew up playing baseball. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you did as well. Uh, not, really. I mean, I did probably like five years or so, but mm. not like a lot. We played all the sports in my house. Well, all of them, I mean, three, yeah. uh, football, basketball, and baseball. And baseball is just kind of the easiest because all you really need is a glove and a ball mm-hmm. and you could go play catch or whatever. And so spent just hours and hours and hours with brothers. Uh, but it's never, it's rarely been a sport that was easy to watch. Like I definitely, especially during like the 04, 05 seasons for the Houston Astros, I was just highly dialed in throughout the season watching game, you know, a ton of games. And, uh, but it's still, it took a lot of focus to want to sit and observe a baseball game because it's all between the pitches, right? It's all, everything that's happening is very slow and there's no time limit on baseball. Yeah. You know, there's not a clock on this thing. No, yeah. not to the last out. Yeah. And for that's one of those many things that, you know, Billy Bean, you know, says it's it's hard not to be romantic about baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just so much to, to romanticize about it. And this movie really makes the case for why baseball is so romantic. And I'm sure there's been just tons of other really fantastic baseball films like the natural and major league. And, but for my dollar, I don't bull Durham. I don't think I could go with this is easily my favorite baseball movie just because I don't know. I think it's part of the analytics of it that I love. I'm a analytical person. If our (laughs) listeners weren't aware. Yeah. Um, And this taps into that for me. And and even more so the idea of upending the old system in favor of let's find something better and let's, Let's be true to logic and math and science. That's what Billy tells. I don't know who that was at the end. Whenever he goes to interview for the Red Sox, he's like, I think I think um, science might have a cure or, or an answer for, to the uh, the Babe Ruth. Uh, God, the curse, the curse, curse of yeah. Bambino. And I love that idea. Like that just kind of lights me on fire a little bit. Yeah. Sitting there watching Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill just kind of always has this uh, wry, awkward smile and he's laughing at things that aren't funny. (laughs) It's so freaking wonderful because you can just feel a human being underneath all that. Um, And that that's kind of a hard thing to do in a film like this that is not about the play on the field. Mm. Like most sports movies uh, are about what's happening on the field. That's where the action is. Not this movie. That's like almost none of the action. Yeah. Like we don't really live and die except for one pitch. Yeah. Well, we're, we're with Billy all the time and Billy never goes to the games. Yeah. So neither <laughs> do we. Neither do we. That's right. And I love that. I love that, you know, they found the drama underneath the action instead of mm-hmm. making us, you know, hold our breath on a pitch, which again, I think we only do once in this whole movie. Uh, everything else is yeah. about how he's reacting and. Uh, the the story of the system and that's kind of the way managers and uh, whether it's the baseball manager or the team manager that's kind of where they live they don't think about my decision didn't pay off in that one pitch and therefore uh, my system fails no it's like this is a game of you know bigger thinking and macro thinking and I love finding the drama, true drama in that and not just kind of this manufactured. There's, there was another movie that came out after this uh, about football draft uh, and it was just trying. Can't be romantic about football. Not like this. No, no, not at all. Uh, And it just didn't work because it felt manufactured. Like we're creating a different type of drama. And in here, 
the drama is, and I'll certainly get into this, uh, was just so much more bigger, higher minded Mm. because it was looking at the sport as a whole and saying, what's wrong with this picture instead of saying, Oh, what's wrong with this team and how can we patch it up? Uh, which is, you know, which can be fun stories as well. Uh, but I love the different holistic approach to baseball. We're going to solve baseball. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's freaking cool. Yeah. I mean, so one of you, you mentioned that we're going to talk about subplots. I I just want to, I don't, I doubt that this is one of them for you, but I, I do want to hit on this. One thing that I felt this time watching it that I, I'm not sure if I felt it on the other times, but I definitely did. I think I did, but was the concern that he would lose his job was an actual concern. Like if, if there's other movies that you would watch, most other movies you'd watch and like, you know, if the character is concerned, they might lose their job. You're not really, you know, you're just like, Oh, whatever. Uh You know, you'll, you'll either get another job or, or you'll figure something out. Right. But I felt like really concerned that he would lose his job. And I think that, and I was trying to understand like, why was I concerned that he would lose his job? And that it's twofold. One, it would mean that he failed. That this whole idea of of data driven victories would fail, right? And he wouldn't change baseball. But I think that the other was how they shot it, right? Like the the structure of 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 everything. One, it was Brad Pitt's incredible performance, right? He was just so human the whole time, and he didn't let a lot of stuff get to him until it did. And then it really did. But so it was, it was that. And so you were feeling this tension, even though he wasn't showing it. Right. So it's that whole play of like, there's a lot of tension around him and he's just cruising, right. He's just cruising. Um, but there was this underlying feeling of tension, right? So I felt that, but also, you know, they painted his ex-wife as rich, you know, like super wealthy, really nice house, you know, and him is just this regular guy in a, in a decent house, but like nothing crazy. He drove a truck, you know, it wasn't like a sports car or anything. He wasn't a, a douchebag. He was like a salt of the earth guy who just wanted to be a good dad. And, and it made him look vulnerable, made him look vulnerable. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And so because of that, because I felt like I don't want him to lose his job. I was more invested in actual, you know, his, his and Jonah Hill's effort, uh, or his and Peter's effort to make this a success. Yeah. It wasn't just about the baseball or the team. It was about like them succeeding at whatever the hell it was they, they were doing. It could have been anything really. Um, and I would have been invested in it. Right. So yeah, that's a great point. No, it really raises the stakes whenever, his job is on the line. Yeah. And so it really helps us re- reinvest on the outcome of his mission. Um, yeah. But his job being on the line, like normally I wouldn't care about that. Right. But I care about it because I care about him as a character. You care about him as a character. And you're also aware that this is a real human being like this. Yeah. Is oh, yeah. True story. True and story. Yes. Inserting Good point. like actual teams like the Oakland athletics yes. and the New York Yankees and Kansas city chiefs, like actually seeing those reinforces that. Cause how many years did we have to sit through fake football teams, fake oh, dude. Ba- so baseball, bad. basketball? Like yeah. it's just, yeah. you've, 
if I see another team named the Knights, I'm going to like <laughs> yes. lose my mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> right. Definitely. Good point. And so, yeah, all that reinforces it really well to make you care about him and therefore the outcome. Was that one of the plots that you were going to talk about? No. So, okay, good. Good. Uh, yeah, let's just dive right into that. The plot versus subplot. So the difference is, I think, from a from a higher level, is that if you remove a subplot... It doesn't change the plot. Instead, the subplot is there to kind of support the plot. And what is the plot? And you're going to hear, I'm going to try not to say it over and over and over again. The word it begins, plot? Yeah. Yes, it's already there. Yeah. Already there. It's losing its meaning. Yes. Um, the main event, so a plot is the main events of the story. And it's usually laid out in some logical sequence. In some effect, it's basically the who and the what. You know, um, the goal of the film or the goal of the characters, that's usually going to become the plot. So in this instance, uh, the plot is Billy Bean wants to win using math instead of traditional baseball instincts, because uh, that's a lot of what all of the baseball goes by. And that was kind of the rub between him and his staff uh, and his yeah manager I was like he they want to trust like we know what we see when we see it you know and so walking through the plot structure the plot points we have billy loses his key players in the opening right he loses the big game and which i love that it sets up that we are rooting for an underdog and it's so easy to get behind an underdog and the yankees are so famous and so wealthy and they start point blank by putting the numbers right in front of you yeah, this hundred whatever forty million dollar payroll versus a thirty nine million dollar payroll. But they do it on a screen. Yeah, and it's got that halftone uh, yes. billboard effect. Yes, and it makes you feel like, yeah, I'm watching. This is the game right now. This yeah. is this is the battle. It's not whatever the score is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a computer screen that I'm looking at these numbers on that I'm analyzing. Yeah, well, it's uh, a billboard like a game. No, no, when they're showing the actual numbers, like on spreadsheets and stuff. Like oh, that. yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. computer screen, but it looks very similar to that because yeah. it's zoomed in, right, right, pixels yeah, and it's stuff, all and it looks like yeah. yeah. And so setting up that tension of, well, this is this is a numbers game. This isn't you know the traditional numbers of you know bats and scores and blah 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 so we set up we start with that right billy loses his key players and we find out very quickly he can't get more money from the owner to rebuild the roster and so he they explore that and they're failing and he's proposing the idea that we need something we need to solve this other problem that y'all aren't even looking at which is the clip we played in the beginning and from there he goes on the next plot point opens with he finds pete Right. He goes to the Cleveland, which is so awesome. God, that scene. Did that really happen that way? I have no idea. I don't want to know. I <laughs> hope it did. I do too. Like, oh my God. I think if we had our buddy Dave here, he would like point for point, like, nope, this happened. This didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably look that up. Uh, and so he finds Pete after that great meeting with Cleveland where he's just getting shot down everything he wants. And he's like, what happened in what that are we room? Doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who are you? I don't give a rat's ass what your name is. Yeah. What happened Who in there? Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and so from there, we learn about Pete. And this is probably a good seven to ten minute section of learning Pete and Pete's ideology and bringing Pete on board. And I remember sitting in this, I don't know, it was a conference call or a, a webinar, if you will, a long time ago, like 10 years ago, where they came up, someone put this idea out of mini movies where you're, you're, you have this big story right billy is trying to overcome baseball tradition 
and then you break it up into these like short films. Oh, for 10 minutes, we're going to show you why he needs to reinvent baseball because he doesn't have the money. And then we're going to find the next 10 minutes. We're going to spend him discovering whatever this new method is going to be. The next 10 minutes is blah, blah, blah. And you can do it that way. They don't necessarily follow that to a T in Moneyball, uh, but it's somewhat in there. It's very loosely guided like that from finding Pete. Now he has his new ideology, but now he can't get buy-in from his staff. That's the next plot point. And so we go through a good section of that. And then from there, it starts to overlap with this next plot point of he can't get his manager to play his team, right? He can't get buy-in from his manager. And then we get into this interesting section where Billy is superstitious. We're kind of diving into his own internal traditions, right? Uh, he doesn't watch games. He, he wants, so on this bigger level, he wants to abandon baseball tradition, but he also can't let go of it himself. And that's a really cool irony of, you know, how callous he is when he's making these decisions that impact the team versus how emotional he is when watching a game because he thinks he's a jinx. Like that dichotomy is just insane because he's much more emotional over the things he can't control than he is over the things he can. And like you were saying earlier, he holds it together really well and he only unleashes his emotions uh, when he wants to. He he ju jumps down the team's throat whenever he sees them celebrating. And it's so deliberate, even though it's on the one hand a little wild, it still feels very controlled and very measured, uh, which is which is cool. And so from his superstition, uh, we go into now he's got buy in from his staff and his manager. Now he can't quite get buy in from his players. Right. And this kind of introduces some other subplots. Justice, David Justice accepting his role um, and Hatterberg learning first base. Those are subplots. And I'll get to that in a second. Part of that plot point is also, you know, technique. And he's learning and teaching baseball to all the players. And so this leads into the next point of they, 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 they start winning. <laughs> what do we do now? And his manager and this is capped off the whole section of. It's working. He's got buy-in from his staff, from his manager, from his players, and it's now finally working. And the best part is how they cap off that win streak, and the win streak becomes the, the story, the success. And I love that it comes down to his manager choosing to insert Hatteberg when it matters most. Like the game is on the line, the streak is on the line, and he inserts Hatteberg because he wants to show I'm putting faith and Billy, and, and the one person that I had, had faith in, now we're going to get the win in the record. Yeah. Because I'm putting faith in the one person that I refuse to put into the lineup. Right. It's, it's poetic. It's beautiful. I don't know if that happened well, either. Well, and the only reason he put him in, li in lineup in the first place is because... He was forced Billy, to. Yeah, Billy traded Pena. But this time he... But this is, yeah, he after swapped that, the, yeah. Uh, He swapped the lineup in right. order... To At the very literally, end. yeah, put put Hatterberg in. I thought that was a it was a really good nod because he was he was the main uh, antagonist, really. Yeah. I feel like you know throughout the, the whole most of it, and it was a really good nod to to him because he was a great manager, yeah. right? And it, it 
he does know baseball and you know, like he's not just like, Oh, this bad guy, you know, you don't just, you know, he's not being obtuse. Right. Right. He was just genuinely trying to do the best thing for his team. Right. And for himself, because he had one year contract that, you know, like he said, like he said, I'm trying to play this team. Like I can explain it to uh, in job interviews next winter. So it made sense. If you really believe that who the guy that, that, um, Billy was crazy. It would make sense that he would, Art Howe would mm-hmm. would go against him. Yeah. Right. You yeah. don't know baseball. I've been managing this team for years. I know what I'm doing. Not you. Yeah. You know, but it's a good nod. It's great. And so right after the win streak, I feel like there's a bit of a plot update because before it was he just wants to win. And then after the streak, Pete is like, yo, you did it. Mm-hmm. Like, congratulations. And he's like, no, 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 no. We got to win it all. I don't. I want to change the game. Like this isn't just about winning. Fine. Okay. We can win, but I want to change the way baseball works. And I know these guys, man, I'm telling you, they're not going to listen if we don't win at all. And to some extent, you know, he was right and also wrong. I mean, that's part of the churn of humanity, I think is kind of shoving some of these old ideas out, but let's get into the subplot. So subplot, I forgot to write my definition for it. I just have the, <laughs> so <laughs> I got well, distracted. Off the cuff, man. <laughs> yeah. But basically a subplot. So if a plot has all these points and this goal, this overarching goal and everything in the plot is addressing that goal. Then a subplot is something that isn't directly affecting that goal, but indirectly, indirectly, uh, a part of it, supporting it. And so for the examples of this film, and I literally was just watching this movie, trying to pick out what's a plot and what part of this is plot and what are the subplots going to be? So the subplots, um, are like Billy as a kid going pro, Right. And it's supporting because it's it's his own demon of I was misevaluated. I was promised something that I wasn't. I made a decision based on money. He made it. Yeah. He said the last time he would do that. And so we're seeing how his early decision of being influenced by money uh, impacted his whole life and especially his career. And we're kind of emotionally connecting with him on that, that spiritual level. And um, it leads all the way back to the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It ties His decision. Yep. And to stay in Oakland, mm-hmm. but there's that whole subplot of him, of us just watching him go through the motions of being drafted and going into the league failing. And ultimately that's it. That's kind of his story getting shoved off into management and making that decision to, to, to leave baseball or as a player. So that's one subplot, Billy going pro as a kid. Uh, and then we also have the subplot of Hedberg learning first base. And that is, it's brief. It's not like this hugely fleshed out thing. It's something we kind of bounce around on here and there. And I love that first meeting where he, they're sitting on the couch and he's like, uh, you know, don't worry, you know, it, it's easy to learn, you know, what, right? And he's like, it's incredibly difficult. You know, and anything that's worth doing is yeah. <laughs> he just turns on a dime. 
<laughs> yeah, it's and awesome. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, and David Justice, of course, you know, mm-hmm. having to accept his role as a vet. And he's not the man anymore. He's yeah. not what he used to be. And we kind of see those two subplots overlap a little bit as he tries to be a vet. And he's like, what are you afraid of? A ball being hit in my direction. Oh, crap. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Justice. You, you did it. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good scene. <laughs> it's great. And Chris Pratt is fantastic. Perfect. Man. Perfect. God. I forgot he was in this until I saw him again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I love... Pete, like you were mentioning earlier, like he's being mentored, right? Uh, learning how to manage. And one of the things that he has to learn how to do is detach from the people that his de- decisions affect. And it's, it's light in there. And it's only very lightly, you know, supporting the plot on any level. Uh, but it's important for the, the, the person whose ide- ideology is impacting the team. Uh, to also have a bigger view of how this all works. Uh, and I think, you know, on this unspoken level, it, it it's circular. It's all mm-hmm. playing into each other. And it bonds, it bonds Billy and Peter together, right? Because Peter is giving Billy all of this knowledge on, on stats and, and numbers. And Billy is giving Peter all of this experience. And, and so their relationship, it kind of like seems. That's seems. a great point because without that, uh, dynamic suddenly it could turn Pete into the upper hand into the guy who's yeah. mentoring Billy. Yeah. When that is just simply not, not the case. And so right. by creating that dynamic of he's learning how to manage now the world is right again because this is his first job. Yeah. There's no reason he should be teaching anything right. <laughs> right. beyond math. Right. <laughs> and then the other subplot, which is uh, a little different is his daughter. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's like totally different from any of the other subplots that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and it's so wonderful uh, because, you know, there's there's some overlap there in this very loose and uh, unobvious way. She's learning how to play guitar and to sing uh, and, and in a way that's kind of what Billy's doing. He's learning how to step out and create this other, you know, thing that he's never done before. They're both learning something and she's nervous, right? She, she doesn't want to play in front of people, almost not in front of her dad and the CD at the end. She's like, don't let anybody else hear this. <laughs> Such a loser, dad. Uh, it's great. And he's obviously got that same thing happening in him. Like he's, he's nervous. He doesn't let anybody see it. But what's great is we see his emotion through her. She's kind of vocalizing all the things that he's worried about that he refuses to say out loud, mm-hmm. right? She's worried for her dad's job and in general. And I love that, you know, she's like, I, I talk to people and, you know, I, re, I go on the internet. Well, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't go, go on, on the internet. internet. <laughs> don't, don't talk to people. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And we also kind of get to see the lightness of everything he's balancing and how he acts like nothing is affecting him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's great to see him in that specific dynamic, because I think otherwise you do kind of start to feel that he's a robot. But seeing him be a dad and love his daughter and cry over his daughter Mm -hmm. like that all just adds it flushes his character out for sure. And also gives us an opportunity to uh, have this expositional moments of all the other stakes that are involved for one, like it reflects uh, his his job security and also reasons for staying in Oakland. Like it's just, it's not about the money and it's about family and it's about all these other decisions winning on his own terms. And it's not all about hard math. Decisions 
do still involve emotions and instincts, which is unobvious whenever you think about the plot being he's here to remove all the uh, the instincts from baseball and insert. Well, they yeah, they wipe all of that away in that one scene, uh, the last day of trading, um, which I watched three times. Because I wanted, I got lost. I got lost the first time. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, uh, Shapiro? No, that, not that. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Uh, it, it's incredibly well written and incredibly well done. And I really wonder if that happened that way. But there's no music. It's just them two in a room making that trade happen. Uh, it was just, it was amazing. So freaking yeah, good. Yeah. And it, that was all instinct. That was, yeah. that was the instinct you're talking about. It was, they were, I mean, he was looking on, um, they were doing their math. They were doing their math a little bit, but he would, he looked and he said one name, but after looking on the computer, Peter did. Yeah. Other than that, it was, they call this guy, call that guy, wait for that guy to call back. Oh, you know, tell him this or whatever. And cause yeah. he's, he wasn't going to abandon all that he knew about baseball right. in order to serve this new master. He was trying to figure out a way to marry them together yeah. because the math decision was to keep Giambi, but he could see that this guy was a toxin, mm-hmm. uh, a, a poison pill in his locker room. Yeah. He was keeping the guys from being focused. And even though he might've been good for getting on base, he wasn't lifting the team up uh, or at least he was bringing them down. Like, yeah. Just don't do that. <laughs> just don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. And so I think it's interesting just to kind of, I was very curious just to see what scenes are about the plot and what scenes are about the subplot. And we've talked a lot of, you know, recently about staying on topic and this is still heavily on topic because this isn't necessarily about baseball. That's, you know, the top layer, but this is about, overthrowing the old and creating the new, uh, subverting history and tradition, uh, with something else. And I would say every scene is about that. Now they insert these baseball segments, uh, to kind of romanticize it and to create that emotional element that he's talking about, you know, whenever they're watching the, uh, the, the scene where, the guy hit the home run that he didn't know about, you know, and it's just this beautiful, elegant thing that, that Pete just kind of hammers Mm -hmm. (laughs) unnecessarily. He's like, it's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) So good. (laughs) And it's perfect. And it's that emotional element that I think supports everything we're talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, because otherwise it can feel a little dry Mm -hmm. and yeah. So I, I, yeah, that's my kind of analysis of, plots versus subplots and how they kind of inter- intertwine, intertwine and uh, support each other. But on the performances note, very little here, but I, I was really struck for one, this is partly written by Aaron Sorkin. And I don't know how much he wrote. I'm assuming not as much as Steven Zalian because Steven's name came first and Sorkin's name came second. That's usually how that works. Whoever mm-hmm. writes the most gets the top credit, but normally a Sorkin script it's very sing-songy. Yeah. Like there's a rhythm to it and it's it's like its own type of music. Mm-hmm. That was not in here almost at all, if yeah. at all. I would have to watch just looking for that. But instead, there was a ton of silence, like between lines and dialogue. And it's so perfect because people are reacting and not everything is off the cuff and you have mm-hmm. the wittiest remark in the world uh, and maybe even less so in a 
baseball community. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it should be more. Maybe it should be wittier because those guys, all they do is talk noise to each other. If you guys don't if you want to know what we're talking about, watch like Gilmore Girls or yeah. or the newsroom mm-hmm. and you see it is it is a I say a line, you say a line, I say yeah. a line, you say, it is back rapid and forth, fire. rapid fire uh, to the point where you're and what we're what you're talking about is. I'm not always going to have that rapid response in the real world. Right. And so sometimes it's good, you know, and it's something like a newsroom where you're like that kind of stuff happens really quickly. Mm -hmm. But in in something like this, where I'm going to say something probably that you haven't heard before, didn't expect me to say, you're going to have to take that in, you know, think about it and then respond. So when I, when I, you put down that Aaron Sorkin had written this, I was like, what, (laughs) Right? (laughs) what, maybe a couple of moments I could see that, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Completely. Not. And yeah. for that reason alone, this is probably my favorite Sorkin script. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And it, it's, it's it, perfect because yeah. yeah, people do take it in and respond. And what's great is how much the actors do with so little sometimes like there's these moments when, like when Chris Pratt is having to play, I'm being told I'm, I'm a catcher and now I'm being told I'm a first baseman. Uh, and you can see he's formulating a thought and trying to say something, but he doesn't say anything at all. They have the next line, but he didn't just stand there and, mm-hmm. and look at them. He was trying to process like, I don't know how to, to tell these guys that I'm not a first baseman. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he took that and he, he was like, I have an emotional stake in this right now. I feel very nervous. I don't want to not play baseball, but I also don't want to get out there and get fired because I lied or misrepresented myself. And so he's having to churn through these thoughts and you can kind of see his face pucker up. And he's like, I don't, uh, he's like, we know you don't, you can't uh, throw the ball. Yeah. Yeah. We think it's safe to say you've thrown your last pitch from behind home plate. Yeah. (laughs) And that happens throughout the entire film. Like there's these, all these great moments where Jonah Hill is, you know, having to come up with a response to, uh, to Billy Bean and as an actor, he's like, Billy, like, I don't, yeah. you know, and there's the awkwardness and just letting it all come through. And I'm always just super impressed when, and Denzel for me does it the most of anybody, the way that you can chew through a line and add all this emotional quality to it uh, that otherwise wouldn't be there. And it comes through understanding your character and uh, your emotional st- stakes in any scene and with the character, my relationship with this person. And I love all the smirks and all the silence between the lines that they allow to sit there. And I'm sure a lot of that's also great directing and saying, nope, take your time mm-hmm. slower process that. Why aren't you processing that? You're just shouting out your next line, like sit on it. Mm-hmm. really think about it as an actor. That's really intimidating because you can feel people are waiting for you to speak, but you have to have so much trust and confidence, not just in yourself, uh, but in your director and your crew uh, and your cast to, and, and then of course in yourself and your homework, uh, there's been these moments where in, we, we've been doing like a, a read through or a uh, bit on set and, Sometimes I just want to look at someone while I'm thinking about what they just said to me and it can be awkward. Like sometimes you might even forget your line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you remind yourself, yeah, what did they just say to me? Oh yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I just love that. I love really taking your time and digesting what someone just said before responding. Uh, and I think a lot of younger actors and even some 
that have had some amount of success don't know how to do that. They just kind of wait. Have I paused long enough? Okay, now I'll, now I'll talk again. Um, instead of letting it really process, like, what did they just say to me? Yeah. And that's why you hear this phrase, acting is reacting, which does not mean acting again. <laughs> <laughs> I actually used to not understand what that phrase meant. Um, and I would think like acting is acting again. Like what? Yeah. But it's just reacting to what people are actually doing to you in front of you right now. I mean, some directors are very like on script script, but I think for the most part, it's less about the words and more about the sentiment behind the words. It's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. The point I had, uh, one of my favorite acting coaches here in town was a regular on Gilmore girls. Now that Mm. you brought them up and she would get so frustrated because she, she was like, they were always telling, telling her faster, 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 faster. And she wanted to act. Uh, now they had a certain style that they were going after. And, you know, you got to obey that because that's the style of the show. That's, yeah. There's a reason for that. But as an actor, I know she was also frustrated that uh, and I probably relate more to her than I do. to. I love Gilmore Girls. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I relate to more. I want to be this character and mm-hmm. that's it's not a gimmick my character isn't a gimmick um, yeah and you want to invest in that but yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, end. the end that's it <laughs> boom i i love that you wanted to talk about plot in this because i feel like that's the reason why this movie is so rewatchable mm-hmm. that there's just so many there's there's so many things going on but they all relate to the one main thing which is this guy it's all about billy the whole movie is about billy and his his drive to what we what they tell us you know to find to change the game right at first you think it's just a win but it's not just that it's like to win in a way that changes the game and and but all of these subplots actually help push that along and so you never get bored everything every time you kind of switch from one plot to the other to another it kind of reinvigorates what you're watching because you know that it's going you feel that it is still leading you down this path like part of the problem that i always have with like these some some epic movies star blank um is that there's so many things going on that right when I'm in a story, right when I'm, you've got me, you get a star wipe and I'm, I'm I start over. Right. And, and it's just like, Oh God, now I gotta, okay. Now we're in a whole nother, another place is a whole nother plot, a whole nother story. And this didn't feel like that. No. Yeah. And those, those moments always feel pulpy and, uh, pulpy. Yeah. Like it's just I like that word. We're, we're creating kind of this throwaway, hodgepodge of things that are only kind of there to grab your attention. Right. And not necessarily to fulfill this tension that I'm feeling. You're not resolving it and and you're not kind of fulfilling the promise that you're making. And there's a lot of TV shows I have this problem with where I can see the writing on the wall that, Oh, you're just, you're doing X, Y, Z for ratings, not because you have an end game in mind. Mm -hmm. And that's really frustrating. Whereas, yeah, in this film, Everything is is very focused, even though it's very emotional and I don't know nerdy in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it. I don't know if it's that I just love watching Brad Pitt or I I love you know the the romanticism of baseball and uh, yeah. I don't it's know. all of that. Yeah, it's all. It's definitely all of that. You buy him 
specifically you buy Jonah Hill, you buy every, everybody in this movie, you buy freaking Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's perfect. You, yeah. You're like so annoyed by him. Like just play Hatterberg. Come on. Yeah. So for everything from the casting and the writing to the acting and the plots and, and, and everything, it was just, you know, yeah. brilliant, brilliantly done. I suspect that if I were to go through and kind of figure out the cinematography, Wally Pfister is amazing, uh, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, he used to do a lot of Nolan's films up until mm -hmm. uh, Interstellar. But he, I would, I would imagine I can see a lot of baseball influence in the cinematography. Like, I, I feel like there's probably longer lenses, kind of like you, in order yeah. to capture baseball, you have to use these longer lenses to see players on the field. And you also have this kind of dramatic stadium lighting on the players throughout the film. It seems like I didn't really watch it for this, so I'm just kind of shooting from the hip here. Um, but I imagine there's a lot of baseball influence over the cinematography and, and, and as well as the, some of the pacing. It's some of the, the dialogue almost feels like a pitch, a wind up, a pitch a hit or a strike and it almost feels like this in, baseball is subtly infused throughout the film in ways that certainly aren't obvious mm -hmm. um even if and that's one of those things going back to what we were saying in the beginning that a lot of that is probably subconsciously yeah. done right yeah. if you write it from the point of view of of a baseball lover telling this romantic baseball story it's just probably if you're good at it, it's probably going to have that kind of undertone, that kind of feel yeah. maybe in the dialogue, because that's just it's, it's in your heart, you know, mm. as opposed to like I'm setting out to do this, which maybe, maybe, but that would be that would definitely constitute at least a subconscious thing, you know, yeah. as to why something like that would yeah. feel that way. Like, like a pitch and either a strike or a hit or whatever, yeah. like in the dialogue, like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. It's bringing nice. it full circle there. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, yeah, I think that's all I yeah, got. That's all I got too, man. I loved it. I, I, I want to go watch it again right now. Same. I was watching, I was halfway through it again. Before you really? Oh, yeah. geez, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, what are you going to recommend this week? Uh, well, I mean, come on. It's a baseball movie. You want to guess it? Oof. Major League? No, but that's a very good one. Thanks. It's a very good one. I love that one. Major League 2. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, that's a great movie. I love it very much, but I'm going to recommend The Sandlot. Oh. Loved it. Yeah. Loved that movie. And I watched recently watched it this past summer. We went to a drive in and <gasps> here in Austin. No way. Yeah, brought the kids and Simon loved it. God. Yeah. yeah. What a great so, way to watch that movie. Yeah, it was it was awesome. He was just into it, man. Dang. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna recommend an article, actually. Cool. Called uh Belief it's an article about belief perseverance. And you know, on a very simple level, it's about the way that despite evidence to the contrary, we still hold on to beliefs. It's kind of a, a sister to uh, confirmation bias. They're kind of in the same vein, but they're different. Um, and so belief perseverance is the way in which, yeah, we, we hold on to beliefs and despite evidence to the contrary. Oh. So pretty sure I just repeated myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. We're not recording or anything. Okay, good. No short spotlight this week. I man, I went through like twenty or thirty films. And Sometimes you just can't find some stuff. Sometimes right. there just aren't enough rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I don't know. Maybe I'll throw up something that we've done uh, in, in there. And what about the the dogfish head 
Oh um, yeah, uh, uh, Bruja. Stop, yeah, the stop motion thing that you did with Alyssa. Yeah, so yeah, let's throw that out. If you if y'all want to check that out, written and directed by Alyssa Marie, you can check that out at the uh, in the show notes today. And we'll throw her Patreon in there too. Absolutely, she's an amazing artist. She's so freaking good. And so, oh god, oh man, oh. stay tuned. <laughs> <sighs> this okay? I I would. I would rather do hereditary again than this. However, next week we're going to be, uh, I can't even say it out loud. Just go. We're going to be doing twilight next week, (laughs) which you have no idea what I think of that movie. So true. True. My my reactions. You have no (laughs) idea what I think of that movie. It's well, it's going to be fun. You're a Billy bean of emotions. My friend, (laughs) Throw a chair across the room. And we'll have a, uh, we should have a special guest. Uh, yes. Scotty Garrett Graham. Yeah. Should be in the building. Scotty, oh, pick a machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, Scott, uh, play guitar in my band for eight years. Uh, love that guy. One of my best friends in the whole world and looking forward to seeing him. He's in, living out in LA right now, uh, but he'll be here uh, in studio. <laughs> Super that, excited that episode, and there may be a plot twist on yes. that. I may or may not have to get uh, blaze in order to make it through. <laughs> so I may or may not. And I do not either. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have Jenny come in here and help us because yeah. Yeah, whatever right. Scott knows, knows how to do this. So uh. yeah. So stay tuned for that mm-hmm. and don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes, Android, Spotify, what have you. And also don't be afraid to drop us a note saying what you thought of this episode or uh, if there's something you want us to talk about or a movie you want us to cover that we have not already. I mean, this is our 95th one. I'm pretty sure we're out of movies now. I mean, there's no more left. We're done. Yeah, but I think we got like two more. You're welcome, world. (laughs) (laughs) And if you want to leave a comment on this episode, you can do that at thepestlepodcast.com slash Moneyball. And today's quote is from Billy Bean. I don't want a lot of guys like me who played the game. Quite frankly, I want blank canvases. I want people to come in with new ideas. I don't want the biases of of their own experiences to be part of their decision-making process. That's so cool. That's cool. That's cool that a guy who is that experienced wants people who are not. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And they subtly injected into the film. I didn't realize until finding this quote. And I just happened to be on this scene that right after I read this quote where he fires his uh, head scout. Mm -hmm. And then he walks into some office and he's like, hey, whatever, Tommy, uh, you didn't play baseball, did you? He's like, nope. Congratulations, you're the new top scout. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, perfect. It's perfect. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, and Peter... Peter had no baseball experience. True. Yeah. Went to Harvard. Yale. Stud- Yale studied economics. Economics. Baseball. Funny guy, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I could see him saying that for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. Great quote. So thank you guys for joining us. We, I had a great time. Um, I really want to go watch this movie again. Same. Oh, yeah. What would you give it out of five? I got to go. This I think this is a five. It's for a me. five for me too. Yeah, definitely. I, I there's nothing I would change. I mean, I think it really isn't, and it's so enjoyable. Even his daughter is a great actress. If you don't get tears in your eyes when you yes. hear her songs, yes, you're 
a robot. I I definitely welled up. God. Yeah, she, that little that song is so good. She sings it so well. Just and thinking just, about it makes me like yeah tear up. Good God, man. So anyway, I had a great time. Same. Uh, thanks for joining us and join us next week again. Uh, we'll be covering <laughs> Twilight. We'll have Scott here. We'll get high and all that stuff. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. 